Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. All right, let's get into our next message in Acts. So last Sunday, this is part two of last Sunday. Last Sunday I said that there's certain kind of scandals that are different in, 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 uh, in intensity. So there's a scandal that you get when you don't pay parking tickets. There's a scandal that's bigger than that when you, when you cheat on a spouse, that's a little bit more intense. And then I said, there's a, there's, a, there's a scandal that comes from when you rob from your employees. And then I said, there's a really big example of scandal. And that's when somebody leaves a kid in a car and they end up dying of heat. I'm like, that's pretty scandalous. And then what I said last Sunday, I was like, that's the kind of, kind of scandal that the gospel is. Obviously, the gospel is not a sinful scandal. It's a good scandal. But the way you feel... When you think about the offense of that baby being left, that's how the gospel offends natural man. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. The gospel is an offense to us in our fallenness. And so we talked about last Sunday how we need to understand that the gospel is scandalous so that we don't get all perplexed when people resist it and we don't compromise to make it more acceptable. But what I want to do in this part of Acts chapter 4, and I'll read the verses as we go through it, is talk about how is it that we can, in seeing that the gospel causes problems, what equips us in order to deal with this resistance? So here's three things I'm going to say today if you're a note taker. What do we do in light of the fact that the gospel causes problems and resistance? Number one, we have to receive Christ. Receive Christ in the midst of the scandal that the gospel brings. Number two, we have to remember God in the midst of the scandal. And number three, we have to remain steadfast in the things that Jesus provides as we do. So just if you're, you like ours, receive, remember, remain. Okay? So here's the first thing I want to say. How, how, do we, how do we, in dealing with the controversy, how do we... Deal with it. First thing, receive Christ. Look, it says in verse 18. So they called them. Remember, these, they're in jail. They're in front of the religious leaders. This is the apostles. They called them and ordered them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For you are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them, and they they found no way to punish them because all the people were giving glory to God for what had been done. So right now, what's going on is that the religious leaders are saying, listen, you need our approval. You need our validation. You need our okay in order for you to be these Christians who are preaching this stuff. You can't be doing this unless you receive our validation. And so this is what it looks like in our, let me bring it to our context. You know what? You can't be about the gospel, what it is, and what it costs. you got to please your family. So I remember I was talking to uh, a woman from our church. She's, uh, she's not here, but she knows who she is. She was telling me she wanted to leave the church she was at because they had left the gospel a long time ago and it become a bunch of self-help stuff. And the mom was like, listen, 
You being our daughter is more important than you thinking that you have to go in a place where the gospel is clear. And it was like, you need my approval, forget God's. And she was like, no, I need God's. So there's a pressure of family. Now there's a pressure of wife. Okay? Dealing with a guy uh, uh, recently and, and he's hungry for God-centered truth. But his wife is like, listen, I want to be here because my kids have fun here. It's really legalistic and not really Christ-centered, but it doesn't matter. I like it. And she's like, you better make me happy, husband. Don't be about that gospel clarity. Make me happy. And all of a sudden, it was like these two worlds, right? And this is how society is, right? You need America's approval and Christ. You need Miami's approval, culture's approval, and Christ. You need Democrats' approval and Republicans' approval and Christ's approval. You know, you got to have both of those, right? You need, uh, you know, friends and your circle of people's approval, or you need a famous pastor's approval and God's. Don't ever contradict a famous pastor, right? If MacArthur said it in the study Bible or John Piper said it, don't ever. You need to be right with him, right? And listen, what... What, what Acts is saying is, listen, these men were able to stand before persecution because they said that we live in the approval of God. So it says Peter was filled by the Spirit. To be filled by the Spirit is simply to be overwhelmed with how God loves you and has saved you through Christ. That's what being Spirit-filled is if you walk through everything. So what, 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 is, what needs to happen to us is, listen, I am so loved by God and defined by his love for me that you hating me doesn't change that. I am so rooted in the fact that I am perfect and accepted because Christ was perfect for me. Your accusations does not change that because I'm hiding in Christ. Jesus has covered my sin and shame and guilt by his blood entirely. So your rock throwing and your slander and your disapproval does not change that. So you see, what, you see, what, you see what's going on here? He's saying, listen, if you want to be able to walk through how the gospel is controversial, it's not about you being a tough, bold, impressive Christian. It's about you being a little kid who's regularly hiding and living in the approval of God's one-way grace that is yours in Christ. You have to receive Christ, depend on Christ, hide in Christ as you deal with how controversial and people will try to be pulling you both ways is. So first thing, what do we do? We have to receive Jesus. Here's the second thing I'd say. We need to remember God. And the scandal. Look what it says in verse 23. And they released them. They went out to their own people. So after this happens, the church goes to the church. And everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they all, this is the church. They all raised their voices and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said to the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why the Gentiles rage? He's talking about Psalms 2. He's quoting scripture. And the people's plot futile things. The kings of the earth, they took their stand. And the rules assembled together against the Lord and the Messiah. 
And now he's moving into the cross in the day where Jesus was crucified. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. So how would I unpack the fact that as we deal with persecution as Christians, whether it's small or large, little or big, a lot or sometimes. Here's the first thing. We need to remember that God is sovereign. We need to remember that God is sovereign and God rules as we see this again. Look at this in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voice and said, Master, you're the one who basically runs and rules over everything. And so let me give you a picture that might be helpful. So one time... Uh, you know, well, not one time. This time, you bring people from outside Miami, and then you drive through Miami. You know what happens? What happens when you bring an outsider to Miami? You start driving around. They're like, they get freaked out. Like, like they think it's like, oh, my gosh, you're going to die. And you, and you look at them like, look, I got this. Okay? I got, I got control over this. Don't, don't worry. Um, and so what the, that picture, which is not necessarily the most specifically gospel, but in a small way. Listen, when we see the gospel rejected, the gospel challenged, the gospel opposed, the gospel causing controversy, the gospel just on the ground looking to be very, very out of control, Paul says, Luke says, I want you to know, church, that God is sovereign and king and powerful and conqueror and mighty over all things that are happening, even though on the ground it looks like stuff is getting out of hand. So it's not our job to try to control the scandal, try to control the situation, try to stop it. It's our job to realize, God, you rule over all this stuff. I love Psalms. 93 4 says, Greater than the roar of the many waters, the mighty breaks of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. So you're basically saying, Listen, in the way the ocean has this chaos and movement and danger, God is sovereign over everything, even the chaos. It's almost like, you know, I go to the beach with my kids. I mean, I think they've gotten a little bit over this, but I go to the beach with my kids and I have them in my arms. And they are so terrified because of how the waves look. And I'm saying, listen, look at that, okay? Yes, there's waves here, but look at that. Dad's waist is above the waves. Focus on dad being above the waves, not the waves. So what, 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 listen, this is very much for us. When we see the waves of persecution and difficulty and small or large waves, God is saying it's not your job to try to control the, st- the scandal, reduce the scandal, make it more friendly, but to realize and remember that God is absolutely sovereign and mighty over every single thing you encounter for the gospel. Remember that God is sovereign. God is not, listen, Jesus, you know what Jesus said? We have this view of God that he's, that he's this guy who kind of sets things in motion. And he's waiting for us to give him permission to rule the world. Jesus says, the amount of hairs on your head is subject to God's sovereignty. So you know why some of y'all got, got patches here, you're missing something here, and some of y'all got, you know why? Because God is sovereign over how many hairs on your head. Now, if God is sovereign over that, you think how much more is he sovereign over the various Resistance. So remember this, God rules. Second thing, remember, remember that God 
laughs. God laughs. So look, it says in, in verse 25, it says, All the rulers, your father David said that the Gentiles were raging. So, so right now, Peter is quoting Psalms 2. Let me open up Psalms 2 and show you where he's quoting so we understand where I get this laughing from. So look what happens in Psalms 2. So they quote the first two verses, but look at the third verse. Let me read the, third, let me read the verse 3 that he does quote. Let us tear off their chains and free themselves from their restraints. So, so in, in Psalms, God is talking about how the people are saying, let's get God away from us. Let's get the king away from us. Let's tear off their limitations and restraints. Look, look what it says in verse 3. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. So God looks. You know, you know how you, you know how you, y'all little dog people? How many little dog people here? Those little dogs. The little dogs. And you know they come up to you and they're like, like, look at that thing. Come on. You see that picture? That's what God is saying. When when God sees the world say, forget God. Forget the gospel. God is looking at it like he's like, really? That's so cute. He's not up there like, oh, my gosh. Look at all this false religion in Miami. Look at all the demonic stuff in the Miami. Look at the devil and look at all the... No, he's, he's saying God is laughing at this stuff. He's like, <laughs> what? Now, look, I'm looking like a little silly up here, but that's the picture. God is laughing, scoffing at men opposing the gospel. He thinks it's really cute. Now... Why does that matter to us? Because I think a lot of times we look at the darkness, we look at the evil, we look at the corruption, and, 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 we, and we just get stuck there. And God's saying, you know what I'm doing in heaven at this stuff? I'm laughing. It's really cute. You guys think you can oppose me. And so God is saying to the church, just consider God's emotional state of laughter and belittling of the gospel's opposition on earth and find comfort that dad is laughing at the little cute bark, bark, barks of the world that opposes the gospel. He laughs. So it could bring us comfort. God rules. God laughs. Third thing, God plans. God plans. Look what it says. Verse 27. In fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your servant whom you appointed. So he's talking about the cross. To do, what, what happened at the cross? Did, did, did Jesus really want to do something else? He really had these good intentions. He really just wanted to make everybody like, like him and follow him. And he just so happened to fall under, you know, bad times. And he gets on a cross. And No, listen. To do whatever your hands and your plan had predestined to take place. So what is going on here is that the church is connecting the persecution they experience with the gospel of the cross, with the cross of Christ. So they're saying, let's understand how we see evil around us, resistance, temptation. Per- let's connect that to the cross. And so it's almost like this. Because here, here's, our, here's, our, here's our tendency as people. You know how we are as people? We think like this. We think suffering is bad. 
and power is good, so let's remove suffering and get power, right? Is that how we think? Come on, if you're honest. Suffering is bad, power is good, let's do everything to remove suffering, right? But how do we think about that in light of the cross? What does the cross tell us? That in God's greatest point of weakness, that's where God's power was manifest to save us. It is in Jesus being condemned and crucified, guilty, that we're pardoned, forgiven, and made alive. It's in Jesus dying that we have life. It's in Jesus being abandoned by the Father for our sins that we're embraced by the Father as kids. So the cross has everything backwards, right? Correct? So Peter is saying, listen, we think that evil is a bad thing that God doesn't know what to do with or he kind of just needs to remove. But Peter is saying, listen, the cross shows us that evil is something that the power of God plans and turns on its head for God's purposes. Look at the cross, church, as you deal with on the ground evil. Make sense? So it looks like this. Satan sends persecution because he has a plan to destroy you. And yet, you know what God does with that? He uses that evil to make you feel weak, small, and insignificant. Run to Jesus and trust him. And he uses that plan of Satan to crush you with the plan of God to bring you more identified with Christ, more confident in Christ. So the world comes at us and they bring hatred that turns us to Christ. Lord, help us. Lord, show mercy to us. Lord, Lord, we can't deal with this. And as the Spirit of God, by his power, comes into our life, and then we love on people who are causing problems, you know what happens? It turns evil on its head. Guys, this is so important. If you, We're going through the whole book of Acts. One of the things we see in the whole book of Acts is that God uses evil, persecution, and weakness to advance the church. Who is a person who is most responsible for there being Christians all over the globe today? Come on. Who is it? The Apostle Paul. We're all here because the Apostle Paul left Jerusalem and he went to Gentile, non-Jewish territory. And who was the Apostle Paul? The most evil threat to the church. So on the ground, it's like, man, this evil man this force of destruction is bad, and God says, uh-uh. When you see reality through the cross, God uses evil. He flipped it on his hand to show that he is a sovereign, mighty, powerful God who uses the power of the gospel to turn evil on its head for his purposes. So we have to realize, beloved, that God plans, he plans to use evil and resistance and all the controversial things that come with God, he uses it for his good purposes, and the cross shows us that. Amen? Amen? (laughs) It's almost like Satan cannot win because everything he does to make us lose, God turns it on its head. Turns it on its head. All right, so here's the last thing I'd say about what we need to remember. We need to remember, beloved, that God wins, and he won. God wins and he wins. Let me go back to Psalms 2 because remember, Peter is quoting Psalms 2. So look what Psalms 2 says. Verse 7. 
Verse 6, I have consecrated my king on Mount Zion. So Jesus is the king who's now in heaven on his throne. That's what what he says in chapter 2. I will declare the Lord's decree. I said to him, you are my son. Today I become your father. Here is a triumphant son in the throne of heaven being told by his father that he is a ruler. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So right now, the church is being reminded, guys, Jesus already won. Okay? And why is that important? Because you know, you know, you know what happens? You, you, know, you know why we don't play a lot of games? Because we feel like we can't win. Right? So a lot of times we don't play games because we don't think we can win. And so when we look on the ground, does, does not, does, doesn't Christianity on the ground look like it's a, it's a lose-lose, to be honest? You look on the ground, it doesn't look like this is a game that we could win. Correct? You know what wins in Miami? You know what's popular in Miami? Compromise. Compromise. You know what's not popular in Miami? Gospel clarity. So when you look at gospel clarity and you look at the ground and you look at what it looks like, it doesn't look like we are on the winning team, right? But the church as a process, the, 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 the various on-the-ground losses and, and failures, he's saying, listen, God won, therefore he wins. Let me read a text to help you see that. Let me read a text. Look, go to, if, you, if, you're, if you're a book, book turner, go to Revelation chapter 5. I'll read, I'll read it for you if you don't, have, if you don't want to turn it. Look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside of, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So this is basically the book, the title deed of the earth. Who owns the earth? Who runs the earth? That's what it is. And I saw a mighty angel saying, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. And I cried and I cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look in it. So basically, like, who wins? Look at the world. Look at, look at the Roman government. Look at, look at Christians on the ground being persecuted. Who wins? And then John's looking around. No one answers. Okay? No winners. Ready for the answer? Then one of the elders told him, stop crying. Look. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 8, then he took a scroll and four living creatures and 24 elders before the lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the precious prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. You redeemed people to God by your blood. And from every tribe and language, a people and nation, you made them a kingdom of priests, and they will reign on earth. Victory. Victory. So God is saying, listen, it doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter how much you fail and fall in your face. God won in Jesus. He won. The cross was a true, decisive defeat where Satan was crushed. By the work of Jesus. And so because he wins, guess what? We win. Christianity is a religion, a game that you, you can't lose. 
even if you lose some battles, in a sense, we don't lose. So just, what do we do? What do we do? What do we remember as we deal with this kind of tension and difficulty? Remember, God's sovereign. God laughs. God plans. And, what's the last one? Huh? He wins. He wins. So here's the last main idea I want to unpack. So we have to receive Christ, hide in him. We have to remember God, those four things. Here's the last thing I say. We've got, we got to remain in this scandal. We've got to remain in this scandal. And so here's, I'll read the verses that go with that. Look at this. And now, Lord, consider their threats. So the, ch- the church is now praying. And grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete Boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healings, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. So I'm going to skip the first point. I, I don't know, I feel like I want to make a last minute uh, clerical. Can I do that? Am I allowed to do that? Skip the first one, go to the second one. So we say, when we say remain in the scandal, what does that mean? Well, it means first that, look what the church does. They don't say, God, can you, can you stop this from happening, God? It's not, it's not really cool when our pastors get put in prison. It's not really cool when we get beat up. They basically acknowledge, they say, Lord, this is just what it is. And, and, and they say, this is what happens. And they don't say, God, make this stop happening. It shouldn't happen. They acknowledge they acknowledge that, that, that scandal and problems and persecution and pain and cost is a part of what we're doing. So, look, if you don't want to get hit, don't box. That's what, it's, that's what it entails. You don't want to be in the heat? Get out of Miami. Stop complaining about the heat. It's hot. You don't, you don't like traffic? Then go to Ocala. Miami, it's just, it's just what it is. You know, you don't, you, you want to sleep? Then don't have new babies. You want to be a Christian? You are a soldier who gets punched and shot at all the time. That's just how it is. That's how it is. This is not a social club for bored people to hang out with their friends, even though we are friends. This is not a business for us to be mega and popular and influential and build a brand in Miami. This is not a self-help club where God just kind of gives you all this gas to fix all of your personal you problems. It's not what it is, even though God meets us. This is not religious entertainment where, you know, we're just here to have tons of activities, so every family fun, and, and no, I'm not saying that you should be miserable in church, okay? That's not my point. You see what I'm saying? But what we're seeing here is that, beloved, the church is an army of soldiers who in Christ have been recruited to be engaging in spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about the crazy stuff you see on TV. I'm talking about loving your neighbors, preaching the gospel, loving the church, living a Christian godly life in your culture. That's what I'm talking about when I say spiritual warfare. And understanding it, it's not our job to think, how do we stop getting shots? 
Can we be, can we be, can we tweak it and make it a little bit, you know, let, let's just dumb it down. How do we not get shot? That's not what we're trying to figure out. It's just a part of the, we're figuring out how do we shoot back as we get shot. That's because this is what it is. You know what's interesting? Paul did not tell Christians when they came to faith. We're going to see him in chapter 14. God has all these wonderful plans for you. He says, I'm going to tell you how much you have to suffer to enter the kingdom of God. Day one, Paul gets converted. What does God say to him? I'm going to show this man how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. It's just what it is. But you may, as, as I'm saying this, you may be thinking like, I, okay, yes, we see that part of remaining in the scandal is recognizing that it's just part of the territory. But I can't do that. And the, the, the answer is you're correct. You can't. We can't. We are the people that are ducking and hiding and preserving ourselves at the moment of, of trouble. The second, even in our family, someone's like, what do you say? What do you believe? What are you saying about me? We're like, nothing. You know, it's just, just my thing. This is my Jesus thing. You know, you know what I mean? we, 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 we shrink. So what's the hope for that? Second thing about remaining, we need to receive provisions as we deal with this. We need to receive provisions. Look what it says. In verse 29, Lord, consider their threats and grants. See, Grant, the, the church is asking, God, can you do something as we deal with this because we can't deal with it in ourselves? Grants that, <coughs> that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean that something fills you? It means that it's not you that, 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 that is the power, right? It's something outside that comes to you that fills you. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak God's message with boldness. So what does it look like this? God is saying that we should, as a church, be thinking like this. God, I don't need to not be weak. What I do need is for you to empower me by your grace in the Holy Spirit in my weakness. God, I don't need you to remove the pressure and, and the tension. God, I need you to give me the supernatural power that comes from your king on his gospel throne that comes down to me by the Holy. I need you to empower me and move me in my weakness, not make me strong. So he's telling the church... That as we remain in this stuff, it's not create some kind of adult boldness where you walk around, you're saying, like, I'm the man, I ain't scared. You know, you, you know, like, you know, you know how you, you, you know how you know a new Christian? They ain't scared of nothing. Oh, yeah, I'll go to Africa, I'll die for Jesus. It's like they don't know how weak and small they are yet. But once you begin to be a Christian long enough, you realize you ain't nothing. Well, hopefully. And, and, and so God is saying what the church needs is not to become some fake, phony, I'm strong and mighty person, but to be a weak person who says, God, empower me in my weakness. Empower me in my smallness. That's what I need. I need power in my lack, not me to become some bold, impressive, super Christian. Got to remain. And, and beloved, all we need to do is be that person who's regularly going back and going back for provision and boldness. Here's the last thing I'd say. One last thing I'd say before kind of moving to just a little bit of application at the end. We need to persevere in telling the scandal. So we remain, 
in the reality that we have a scandal, we remain asking for God's provisions, and we also need to remain in persevering and telling it. Look, it says, at the end of this, what happens? They all did what? They began to speak God's message with boldness. And so why is that important? Because this is what happens when the church wants to, look, when you want to put your foot on Satan's head by preaching the gospel that truly offends the world because it doesn't make sense to them and they're self-righteous, I'm a good person. When you want to step on Satan's neck, you know what happens? Satan responds back. He gets mad, okay? That's what makes him mad most. It's when people have a clear, bold, controversial gospel that is biblical. And you know what we tend to do? We tend to then move away from preaching a bold gospel to other things. And we think, you know what? Maybe, maybe, let's just, let's just, I'm not saying we don't do, I'm not saying we don't do anything, but let's just love and serve the community and not really focus on preaching a bold gospel because the gospel is community. Or, you know, let's, let's just do a bunch of Q&As about social topics and social issues, and let's, let's get away from that proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection for sinners. Let's just do Q&As because the gospel is conversations. Or we, you know, or, or we do things like, you know, let, let's, just, let's just focus on fellowship and community and move away from that, like, clear, bold gospel preaching because the gospel is just fellowship and community. Or let's move away from preaching the glory of Jesus being a rescuer for wretched sinners who are loved by all-sufficient, loving Christ. Let's just do self-help and personal betterment. Everyone wants to hear that, right? What, what unbeliever Miami is going to come to a church and say, I, wanna, I want God's going to make you better, you better. What are they going to say? No thanks. Who's going to say no to that? Right? That's a, maybe, we can, maybe we can do that. Or how about this? Let's, let's, just, let's, let's move away from gospel clarity. Let's become obsessed with politics. And everything becomes about making a better America, not making a better Christian in Christ. Or let's just move away from focusing, emphasizing the gospel and its bold clarity. And let's just, let's, just, let's just be a social agency. Let's just save the culture. Let's just rescue art. You know, like let's let's just get away. Let's get away from that stuff that just seems to make people uncomfortable. Okay. And what what Luke is telling us through Peter's conversation is that listen, it's our job to continue boldly preaching and proclaiming the gospel every season, every month, every week, no matter what happens. We always stay in that place, no matter how tense it gets, no matter how hard it gets. Listen, if we compromise in the gospel in smaller ways, smaller ways like to get more people in the seats, like to cater to, to Miami idols, what's going to happen when it becomes really costly to be a Christian? This is over. Your Christianity's done. So we compromise in small ways and we move away from gospel preaching. What's going to happen when it gets heavier? You're not going to have no place to stand. Luke is saying, listen, church, remain in that bold proclaiming of Jesus crucified, resurrected, in that raw clarity of New Testament scriptures. Stay there. Don't move away from there. And so as a church is arrested, as they're beat up and stuff like that, they come right back and say, God, help us to keep preaching Christ. Help us to keep preaching Christ. So let me just circle back and just give a few points of application. Ready? 
Here's a few things I'd say. So first, you know, the first thing I said was like, hey, we got to depend on Jesus. Listen, this is what you do as a Christian when you hear sermons like this. You begin to think about how you're such a chicken for Jesus, right? Or some of you just pretend that you're not a chicken for Jesus. And you're like, oh, no, I, I witnessed someone like six months ago, you know, and, you know, on, on Facebook, you know. But usually what happens is we begin to feel like ashamed. And listen, God does not want you to just get stuck in this guilt and shame about your, your kind of like hiding away from this controversy. He wants you just to go and, and hide in Christ, be defined by Christ, put yourself in Christ, receive the love of Christ, consider the love of Christ. He wants you to just find yourself so rooted in how much God loves you, not because of you. That would then compel you to then be evangelistic. Listen, apologetics is not going to make you evangelistic. You know what apologetics is? Training you to have all the answers? Because you can have all the answers, but you're still scared of people rejecting you, right? What, what, what can make someone be able to deal with rejection? Because I have a love that's so great that I'm hiding in and being defined by that I can then look stupid to you because I have something greater that defines me. But having the answer is not going to do that. Being a gifted guy and going to seminary is not going to do that. <laughs> I went to seminary with a bunch of guys who studied the Bible all day long and never talked to any non-Christians about the gospel. It's not going to do that. We have to find ourselves in Jesus over and over again, and from that love, we can then live a bold life to others for the gospel. God rules means we should be confident, beloved, in what God says about his sovereignty, not what we see. Let me give you an example of this. Some of you, a lot of you were here. So our church is three years old. Um, and uh, we had a season where a lot of things happened. Um, we lost a ton of money. We lost a ton of people. It was like, basically, it was, the, the issue was that there, there, was, there, was, a moment, there was a moment where I, I found something in Scripture to be true, and the people that I was attached to didn't agree with it. And so the, the, the question was, are you really going to hold to Scripture if it's going to cost you money, people, and all this stuff. Are you really going to do that? And I was like, I wasn't like, yeah! I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then on the ground, people saw literally like, it was like 20 people leave this place in one year. And we were, we've always been a church of about 60 people. 20 people leave in one year and $30,000 out the door in two weeks. And you know what, you know what people were saying? Look at that. Look at, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. They're done. They're finished. There's nothing. Look at it. Look how it looks like. And all I kept saying was, God, you reign. God, you said you will build your church. You are the one who is a Lord of glory, who conquers all. It's not my job to look on the ground what it looks like. You rule. Do whatever you want. And the only thing that got me through that and you with me is that we said God rules, not what we see. Because what we see is faulty. I'm not trying to rhyme. So we have to see God's sovereignty and what he says about it, not what we see. God lasts, beloved, means that when you see evil, you should, this sounds overly simplistic, but just consider your father's attitude as he sees all the evil around you that makes you uncomfortable, all the tension. Just consider that God is laughing at this stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it's not like, oh my gosh, you know, like, 
like Satan's throwing stuff at you, and he's, and he's causing problems in your family, and he's causing problems in your church. Like, you know, God's like, you know, he's like, he has this emotional state of just laughter at what Satan tries to do to you to inhibit God's stuff. You should, you're, I mean, God says, consider my laughter at all of man's attempts. Beloved, if God wins means that we, God, if God wins means that we should just, God has won and he will win. You know what that means? That we should just play the game as hard as we can for Jesus and stop looking on the ground as to maybe it's not worth playing because we don't know if we're going to really make it or win, right? Let me give you another personal example for me. So I moved from L.A. to Miami to plant a church. And you know what a lot of people told me? Like, you're crazy. Why would you go to a place like Miami to start a church from, like, from nothing, you know? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Miami doesn't, doesn't like gospel preaching. Miami doesn't like Christians. Miami is a very dark place. Don't do it. And I'm like, you're going to lose. I'm like, I can't lose. God won. God won. God wins. Period. Point blank. I'm going all out no matter what happens. So whether things go this way or that way, God wins. God wins. So if you come down here and you don't have a successful church, you know what? I got a crown and glory that I will celebrate with Jesus no matter what happens. God has won. I am defined by his cross victory and resurrection. I can't lose. So you know what? I'm playing the game. I'm playing the game because God wins. means that we won. I don't have to have this apprehension like maybe and possibly and what if. No, beloved, we can't lose. There's such a freedom when we live from the victory of Jesus and not for victory. Everyone's always talking about, I got victory in Jesus because this and that and the other. I got victory because Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected, not because I did this or that and the other. So, last thing I'd say. If, if God is more interested in, in, in providing power in his grace as you experience the weakness and, and frailty that comes from trying to be a gospel-centered Christian, then you should be just praying differently instead of, you should, so this is how we pray. God, please make me being a Christian as convenient as possible. Please make it so easy to be gospel-centered with my husband and my kids. Please make it so easy to be gospel-centered, you know, with my other brothers in Christ. Please make it so easy. Please let me dance on my way to heaven. God, please make it so simple. God, please. And like Paul is saying, no, Luke is saying, listen, we need a different prayer life. This is, this is how we should pray. God, please give me the power by your grace, not my morality, not my achievements, not my Christian. Give me the power by your grace in my weakness to be the person that you saved me to be in imitating your wonderful son as a witness and testimony to God's grace. God, please Help me in my weakness. I don't need to avoid weakness. I don't need for you to remove weakness. God, just be God to me in my weakness. Changes things. So we move out of the scandalous elements of the gospel 
And now at the end of chapter 4, we're going to talk about some different things. And then we're going to talk about how God killed two people in the church. And the whole, the whole story of Ananias and Sapphira. But for now, beloved, I just want to encourage us to embrace the scandal of the gospel and hide in the Jesus of the gospel as we walk through this out together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for giving us a story in the book of Acts about the controversy, about the tension, about the pain, about the scandal, so that we understand, Lord, this is a part of it. It's not because we're, this, you know, people around us say you're evil, you're narrow, you're mean, you're not Christian, you're not Christ-like. We have this story that says no, we know. We know that the scandal that we experience is not because we're evil, but it's because we're in Christ and we want to tell people the good news that they're, that they're not ready to hear yet, oftentimes. So, Father, I pray that you would make us uncomfortable in our comfortableness, that we would run to Jesus, look to him, receive from him, and that we would embrace our calling to be witnesses of a scandalous gospel in a scandalous world that so desperately needs you right here. I pray right now, Lord God, that people in this building would be thinking about specific names that they're scared of, specific situations they're intimidated by, and I pray that you, Jesus, would flood their minds with God being enough for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.